much good work is happening uh, in this church and also around the community. I'm just excited uh, what the Holy Spirit is doing uh, in this world, in this community, uh, in this city in particular, in this county. And so I'm really excited for the next uh, several Sundays. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with this, who may come from a liturgical Christian tradition, a mainline tradition, uh, whether it's Presbyterian, Methodist, Lutheran, uh, or in some cases, some Baptist, uh, this is the season, and also our Catholic brothers and sisters, this is the season of Lent. Amen. You know, at Mission House, we try to follow the Christian calendar, and it's not to be religious or whatever. Um, the reason why we follow the Christian calendar, and I think it's important to talk about this, is that Christians are people who are led and follow a different time. <laughs> There's secular time. Y'all familiar with secular time, 24 hours of the day and all the secular holidays there are. But we are a people that is shaped by a different story and shaped by a different time in which the culture in which we live. And so we tell a different kind of time. And so a part of that Christian calendar is the season in which we're now in, which is Lent. Lent is 40 days before Good Friday. It's 40 days leading up to Good Friday. Good Friday is the day that Christians all over the world, billions of Christians, uh, will be celebrating and remembering, I should say, uh, the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then the, the day after Easter is called Holy Saturday. It's a day of silence when Jesus' body rested in the tomb. And then that Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday is a Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and him conquering sin and death and uh, conquering all that oppressive humans could throw at him. Humans exercising their sin and the oppression against him. And he overcame that by his resurrection, bringing life, eternal life, uh, inviting us to join in and participate into this new and living way that has been provided by Jesus Christ. Amen. And shortly after that, we began to celebrate, and a lot of churches still don't, they don't do this like they used to, but like at this year, I'm hoping that we will celebrate the ascension. The ascension is just as important as the crucifixion and the resurrection. The ascension is when Jesus raised from the dead and went to the right hand of the Father and sat at his right hand to exercise dominion and authority over the creation. And within the creation, I should say. And then we celebrate Pentecost. But for the next uh, several weeks during the season of Lent, we will be focusing on our new series called Jesus Is. And we wanted to come at this with multiple, at multiple points of view. We wanted to be a little bit creative with the way we engage this, right? Because some of y'all, if, you, if you've been paying attention to uh, PBS and other uh, television, television networks, there's a whole lot of biographies and stories and documentaries about who Jesus is. Amen. So we're going to take a trip, a journey for the next several Sundays. We're going to talk about who Jesus is. And so it's going to come, and as y'all know, it'll have a little spin to it. And so I hope that you'll find a way to be deeply engaged in the story. I hope that you find your way into studying the life of Jesus in the scriptures. One of the things that disturbs me as a pastor and as a disciple of Jesus in our culture is how very little Christians know. You can go to church your whole life and not know the stories and teachings of Jesus. 
it just blows my mind. We talk about this a lot at Mission House. How many Christians, they're familiar with the doctrines and the stuff they see on Christian television or the stuff they listen to on Christian radio or pet doctrines or verses of Scripture pulled from Paul and certain texts pulled from the Old Testament. But it's amazing to me that people that name Christ as Lord know very little about his teachings. So for the next several Sundays, we're going to jump into some things and look at some of the things that Jesus taught and talk about the scriptures that talk about him, how he is present with us today. Today, I hope, I hope to, um, this is going to be sort of like a mini Bible lab. If anybody ever been to Bible lab or mission lab, you know, we can get a little deep sometimes. So I'm actually going to get a little deep this morning. That's all right. I try to keep it, you know, I don't want to say entertaining, but I, I hope that I hope I keep you engaged because what we're going to talk about this morning is going to be very, uh, for some of us, many, it challenge me, but for many of us, it may be very challenging. It may be provocative. Uh, or as my favorite word is, uh, yeah, Vanessa's favorite word, problematizing. I hope that once I'm done today, that there may be a Jesus that you hold in your head. He might become a problem for you after you leave here today. Amen. So let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you right now for your people, God. God, we thank you for your presence, God. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lead us and guide us into your truth, God. May your word, Father, fall like seed on the soils of our heart, God. God, may it uh, yield much bounty, God. May it yield much fruit, and may it be a bountiful harvest for your kingdom, God. God, teach us today, God, what it means to call Jesus, Jesus, and who he is in our lives, God. God, we thank you for you, Father. God, let us be one as you and your son were one, God. Let us be walking step with your spirit, God. Challenge us, provoke us, and may your spirit just move in a powerful way. If it's silently, if people get up and shout, that's fine, God, but just move, God, however you see fit, Lord. And God, I yield myself to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to John chapter 14. Oh, man, now I'm excited. I was worried, but now I'm excited. Amen. Spirit says it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. So John 14, verses 15 through 21, um, I'm going to read from the board because this is the NIV version. I have a different translation I'm reading from my, uh, my study, so uh, this is the NIV. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not, and this is the key phrase here, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. My God. This is Jesus. This is red letters in the Gospel of John. So my topic this morning is this. Jesus is here, not a hustle. <laughs> You're like, oh, Lord. Jesus is here, not a hustle. 
Mm. One of my favorite MCs in hip-hop is Jay-Z. That's when the older folks, y'all might be like, okay, who, okay, who, who's that? Uh, and even some of the younger folks, you're probably saying, who's that? <laughs> right? But there's one of my favorite lines from him, and I actually disagree with him when he says this, but it, it's, it's really catchy. It's really cool. Jay-Z says, I'm not a businessman. I'm a business man. Right? I'm not a businessman. I am a businessman. Right? And so what Jay-Z is talking about is part of our larger culture where we are taught uh, to treat each other as we're all business entities. <laughs> and what do I mean by that? We live in a culture, in our passage this morning, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. And what that means is this. Let me go ahead and break this down for you real quick. We're going to jump right into this, y'all. That's okay? Amen? Because I ain't going to be here long today with y'all, so y'all can enjoy the snow. <laughs> Trying to hurry up so we, before it melts. The word orphans there, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. Uh, in one translation, says, I will not leave you as orphans in the world. I will come to you. That word orphans means parentless. That's, that's what normally what y'all uh, think when the word orphans there, right? It means to be parentless. But it also means to be friendless. Jesus says, I will not leave you friendless in the world. So what he was saying to the apostles, this is his farewell speech. This is the speech that he's giving uh, before he is crucified. And, and see, in the ancient world, we, we, uh, we don't understand farewell speeches, their power. You know, when you go to graduations now, they give the, the, uh, the, the farewell, the, the, what's really supposed to be a farewell speech. Uh, usually the valedictorian gives his speech, and it's like a farewell speech. And in the ancient world, the idea of a farewell speech is to give a speech that says to the younger generation to let them know you are to carry the legacy of excellence. You are to keep modeling what I modeled before you with the time that I live with you. So a farewell speech is, is, is a calling to remembrance of all the things that I've taught you down through the years that you were with me. And so a farewell speech is saying, I'm leaving here. So that means that you have to continue what I've been doing up to this point. <laughs> Jesus is basically saying, I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving. You won't, the world won't see me, but I'll be in you. I'll be with you in a way you'll be able to perceive me in a way that's different in the way that you're perceiving me now. And I'll be here to help you to continue to be who I've been in this world. First John says it this. First uh, uh, John says it this way: um, We are sent as He was sent. May we be sent as He was sent into the world. Amen. And so the word "orphan" there literally means to be parentless or friendless. And so Jesus is capturing something that is very important for the world in which we live in now. But before I get ahead of myself. And see, in the ancient world, uh, Jesus also talks about friendship. So he says, I will not leave you as orphans. And so at one point in the gospel, Jesus also tells them, he says, I no, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Amen. 
Now, see, in the ancient world, and even to this day, this is still relevant. I just want to throw this out here. There are at least, there's a whole bunch of different kinds of friendships. But in the ancient world, it was understood that there were three kinds of friendships. The first friendship is of having a good, a good time, right? So friendships of pleasure. Y'all know about this. You know, you got your friends you just have a good time with. Y'all ain't do nothing serious. You know, uh, maybe your mall friends, your shopping friends, your friends that you just have a good time with, whatever that is. Y'all go on vacay together or y'all just hang out, get a few drinks, hang out, watch the game, and that's it. Y'all don't engage in any kind of deep conversation. Y'all don't really hold each other accountable. You know, you know the friends you hang around, y'all have a good time. You know their life is ratchet, but you don't say nothing to them. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Especially young folks, they be like, yeah, we got them, you know, people that you kind of, but pastors, not really friends, they're kind of like associates, right, yeah, right. But see, we got to learn, though, in Facebook culture that we live in now, we think everybody who we, <laughs> we send a friend request to on Facebook is a friend. So we don't know how to distinguish between friendships. So now we got to go back to the basics now, especially with the younger generation, to say, this is what a friend is. Amen. And so in the ancient world, you had friendships of pleasure. And then you had, and this is one that's, you know, for the older folks, friendships of use. I'm in a relationship with you because I want to get something out of you. You are useful to me. Y'all know they say in the culture, we're going to network. So I'm going to get to know you, your wife, your kids, your story, so I can get you something from you. Right. And oftentimes in culture, and I, you know, and I was thinking about this. I remember I went to a leadership conference a while back uh, in D.C., and I went in the name of the, the pastor that was leading this thing. And he actually said, and I was just blown away by this, like this is a Christian leader. He says, you know, don't have people in your inner circle, people who are not useful to you. It's going to get deeper this morning. Right. Because here's the thing. I'm just going to jump ahead a little bit. See, we live in a culture in American society. Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. We're going to turn that real quick. Romans chapter 12, verses one through two. I want you to read this because this is very important stuff here. Um, We're going to burn some stuff up here this morning. We live in a culture that teaches us that friendships, the primary form of friendship is a friendship of use. And that's part of a a larger culture in which we live in that says, if you're not useful to me, you are disposable. That's it. That's good. Yeah, that's good. So let me, before I get into that, I want to say this. So Paul says this here in Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test 
and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so we have people uh, in, in the world, the larger pattern of the world in which we live in, we live in a society where everybody is reduced to a commodity. When they become useful to us is what I mean, right? So everybody is useful. Everybody got a hustle. Everybody, every connection that I'm making is, has to be useful to me. And so the purpose of the friendship, the purpose of the connection is not about them per se, but is what I can get out of them for my own selfish or self-centered uh, intention or project or purpose. Hmm. That's not friendship. That's friendless. That's an association. The last friendship, which is the most truest form of friendship, uh, the most authentic form of friendship is this, is the friendship of virtue. It's when you have a connection and a relationship with somebody, a friendship with somebody, and they pull goodness out of you. Mm. You're on a journey together. Towards the good and, and within the church, what that means is that you have relationships and connection and friendship with each other in a way that helps pull the Christ-likeness out of you. And so I'm not here to come to church with you because I know you got connections in the city and, we, and you have relationships and influence the power. So I'm going to get close to you so I can get something from you. But that in the body of Christ, I'm coming next to you because one, Christ is present with us and Christ says this. He says, I will not leave you friendless in the world. I will be your friend. I will be the friend who, as, as the old gospel song says, who sticks closer than her brother. Mm. Y'all quiet this morning. Y'all all right? Y'all good? Let me check in with you, everybody. Y'all good? Okay. Okay. I just want to make sure. So an authentic friendship is a friendship that is about us journeying together as a community of friends towards the good, towards Christ's likeness. What does that look like? To become a community of compassion, to become a community of connection, to become a community of justice, to become a community of transformation, to become to learn how to grow in love in Christ, to learn how to grow in care and concern for the least of these in our community. See, we live in a culture that would say that the least of these, and right now those who are disabled and sick, we create policies that says they are disposable. We live in a culture that says that profit are more important than people. Now, it's easy to look at Washington and say they do that. It's easy to look at Wall Street and say they do that. But it's hard to look closer to home in the church and in our communities in the various ways that the world will try to call us to come into conformity with this very thing. Jesus says, I will not leave you friendless in the world that wants you to become friendless. Hmm. Hmm. So the highest virtue is that of the highest friendship. The highest form of friendship is a friendship of virtue. Bell Hooks, one of my favorite uh, authors and philosophers, uh, cultural critics, Bell Hooks says that love is not a theory, 
and it's related to friendship. And see, the basis of friendship is love. Amen? The basis of community is love, not self-interest, like our culture. I'm just going to be honest with y'all. We live in a society, and God bless America, no doubt, right, in other places as well. Right? I remember the Chris Rock movie, and he said, God bless America, no place else. Right? Because, see, Christians can't say that. Right? We want God to bless the world, right, like he told Abraham. Right? I'm called you to bless the nations. And so the, uh, uh, our culture is grounded in self-interest. See, here's the thing, and I'm, I'm going to get in a little trouble today. And this is why the whole thing about the hustle. And so I totally get the language of the hustle, right? But see, for the older people here who live here, you remember at one point when you said, I'm about that hustle, the hustle was a way to th- get over on somebody. It was not used in a positive light. And so now hustle has become, and I have to be prophetic right now, I got to preach the gospel, y'all. Right? We're talking about doing community development. We're talking about entrepreneurship and all these kind of things. But see, Christians who are rooted in the kingdom of God, we can't do that the way the world does it. Christians can't say, I'm about to get mine. That ain't Christ. That's the same philosophy that that guides Wall Street. I'm going to get mine. It ain't even yours. This is God's world. God shares the world with us. When was the last time you swiped your card on the air you breathe when you walked outside? Right? There's no square like hovering so you can just swipe your card, right? And go. Thank you, Lord, for that next breath. Man, can you imagine how many times you have to swipe your card every time you inhale? If God says, all right, next charge. Imagine God say, I'm, trying, I'm just trying to get mine. <laughs> no, God freely shares in generosity. And so in the kingdom of God, it is about a friendship. It's about a friendship of virtue. It's about a community that's rooted in love. It's about creating a community in a friendless culture that's rooted in true friendship. It's about us uh, not being orphans in the world, about how Jesus has not uh, left us orphans in the world. And so Jesus is uh, the most prof- profound thought out of this is this, is that Jesus is here. One of the greatest things that a friend can give you is not their words. It's not their counsel. It is not their wisdom. It's not their product or whatever they are trying to sell you. But the, 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 for Jesus, the greatest gift that a friend can give you is this, their presence. Not saying those other things aren't important. But the most powerful thing that a friend and that Jesus and God gives us is God's very own presence. Or a friend can give you is their very own presence. Just to be here in a world that in so many powerful ways teaches you and shapes you not to be here. Think about it. There are so many ways that's put before us in our society how not to be there with our friends or to be here, to be present. And by that, I don't mean just physically here. 
But I literally mean to be present because I can be physically with you but not be there. My body can be here, but I may not be here. When Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans in the world, he wasn't, and the thing was interesting is, Jesus was saying, physically, I ain't going to be here, but guess what? I'm going to be here. Isn't there something? And so we think presence all the time is just us physically being present, but it's also about listening. It's also about hearing. It's also about opening one's heart and mind to hear the pain and struggle of another person, to understand their story, to try to understand how the ways in which you can step into their shoes if you can, but just to be present and to let them tell their story, to share their pain and and to be present with them. Not because you want something from them. Not because you just want to have a good time. But it's literally being present for them. Mm. I know. We want seven steps how we can get ours. But here's the thing in some of our communities, We wonder why some of the things are the way they are with the violence, the dislocation of families, and why the hood ain't what it used to be and all those kind of things. Part of it is because we've imbibed a get-mine mentality. We got people who want community in the community, but they're also saying on the the other side of the sentence, I'm going to get mine. You can't say, I'm going to get mine, and then talk about we're going to build community. That's like saying, uh, I don't know, a square peg, right? Trying to fit a round peg into a square hole or a square peg into a round hole. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, right? Think about that for a moment. I'm out here doing me. I'm just all about me. Then the other side of my mouth, I see violence and poverty in my community, and on Facebook, I'm saying, it's all about the community. We got we to gotta be like we used to be. Remember when all the parents would check the kids and everybody knew everybody in the community, everybody shared sugar and Kool-Aid with each other, right? Your mama would say, go down there, get them ingredients for that pot pie or whatever, and, or, or for them grits or for them chitlins or whatever, right? And so there was this greater sense of community, this very sense of, this powerful sense of connectedness. Y'all, you know, y'all know how we have these conversations, right? When we say, remember back in the day, right? But then the next page, I'm going to get mine. Do you? But see, things we don't realize how when we say stuff like that, we have been profoundly shaped and transformed and guided by a culture that is very self-centered and individualistic. Yes, God wants you to walk out your particular gifts and your, the assets that God has given you, the particular graces that God has given you as an individual, as a person. Yes, God wants you to, to become the most fullest person that you as an individual can be, but, but God also wants you to share your gifts and the graces that he's given you, not just for yourself, but for the common good. 
Yes, you are unique. Yes, you are beautiful. Yes, you are highly gifted. Yes, you are powerful beyond measure because of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. But God, if we learn anything from Jesus, Jesus gave his life for other people. (laughs) Jesus wasn't on the cross saying, I'm going to do me. We got to talk about this stuff. We, you know, when Paul says in, in Romans 12, when Paul says in Romans 12, let's get into this just a little bit. He says, uh, now you've read this in different ways, and I was always puzzled for a long time. I don't know about you, but uh, how many of y'all have read this passage before? Right, if you've been in church, right, you read it, and we say it, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I was, I was, I was curious, like, Paul, what do you, how do we renew our minds? Like, I, I don't understand, like, okay, that sounds so abstract. I don't get it, right? But then, then I begin, if you read the whole passage, like, you know, one of the things when you're reading the Bible it's not really good to, to base a whole belief system on one verse of Scripture, right? You start to hurt people when you do that, <laughs> amen? So I always tell people, read the chapter before and then read the chapter afterwards. And if you got enough time, read the whole book that it's in, right? And so Paul says here, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, because God's mercy and grace is what propels us, what energizes us, what gives us the capacity to do any of this, to worship God. Uh, he says, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. And so I begin to understand what he means right there, right? There. So he says, and do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. See, the pattern of, our, of this world will teach us to say, do me, do you, I'm going to get mine. I'm going to connect with you so I can get something from you. I got an angle. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is what these words mean. That word transformed there. means a couple of things. One, it means to transfigure. That's another big word, like another word for another big word. So it means to change form outwardly because of interchange. What does that mean? So in transforming scripture, it means to have, uh, when we begin to see something on the outside of you begin to shift, it begins to take a different shape because your outside has caught up with your inside. Mm. That's why it's so dangerous in church culture when we tell people just to change their outside. Right? I told you the story before. I don't know if it's in the lab or here. 
or I was talking to an, old, an elder in the community, and they were saying how uh, the young people and some of the issues young people are dealing with and how they don't know, et you know etiquette and all this kind of thing. And <laughs> I think I told this story, and um, he said, man, I saw this young brother on the street, his pants are sagging, falling down. You know, when they come up to the church, you know, you got to tell them, you know, pull them pants up. And I never forget asking him, what was his name? He's like, what do you mean, what's his name? So you're more interested in the externality, the external of this person, and you not heard their story. Jesus said, he's present with us. See, people, when you're present with people, you're not just concerned about the externals, right? You're also concerned about what's going on in the inside with them. And part of the transformation of people is just to be heard, right? And see, sometimes as Christians, we're not disciples. We think that discipleship in particular, what discipleship I really believe, the most powerful thing you can, you can do in discipleship is just to be present with people. We think that discipleship is just sharing a whole bunch of scriptures with people. Right? And just answering a bunch of questions. I mean, that's part of it, but it's not just that. We think it's just sharing the Bible. But let me tell you something. I know people who have been in church their whole lives, and they've heard a whole lot of Bible, and they know a whole lot of Scripture, but on the inside, they're suffering. So transformation in Scripture is about a change from out, a change of form outwardly because of inner change. So it's not about looking different, it's about being different. Mm. Because you can fulfill all your external obligations. Like, for instance, you know, tithing is a big conversation in the church, right? And debate and so forth. And so you have people, they'll tithe, right? And... This might be some triggers for some of y'all, because I know how that's been used in some churches in the past, right? But see, let me just show you how it's been flipped in our culture. Long as you tithe, you good. That's what we're told, right? We're also told this. If you tithe, you what? You're going to get yours. So people act out to tithe, not out of obedience, but to get their blessing. Y'all like, oh, Lord, where are we going with this? When tithing in ancient Israel was not for the individual who tithed, but tithing in Israel was for the entire common good. It's for those who are most vulnerable, those who were landless, those who didn't have capital. It's for the entire community. It was like a bank, a community bank. It wasn't like an individual throwing stock in God's heavenly trust fund. Or no, we don't even, no, no not trust fund. Powerball. I got to talk about this this morning because we have been shaped powerfully oftentimes in church culture in ways that are worldly. And I mean worldly, not in a weird Pentecostal fundamentalist sense, like I don't say bad words anymore, I don't drink anymore. No, in a way that shapes you that is not like Christ. 
It's even in the church. I obey God because I want to get mine. But you should obey God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. For no other reason, the risen Christ lives inside of you. God dwells on the inside. And so because eternity dwells on the inside, your life should begin to reflect. You begin to ask questions. You begin to have different appetites. You begin to have different desires and intentions. You begin to say, because God lives inside of me, just certain things I don't want to do anymore. So obedience, even the way we talk about obedience, it's still like, man, I'm going to obey God because I want my blessing. And not to pick on my church folk, but this actually came from my, our European brothers and sisters who came across the waters, uh, those early Protestant Puritans. They had this thing, write this down, it's called the Protestant work ethic. Y'all heard this before? My sociologists in the room, you heard this before? You know it, though, right? If you work hard, right? If you work hard to the bone, God's going to bless you. It's like you enter into a contract with God. If you do all these religious stuff, God's going to shower you with blessings. So we do things to get things from God. So uh, this is how deep it gets, y'all. I'm just going to put it in this language. So what happens in a scheme like that, what happens in a system like that, uh, in an orphanless, in an orphan system, in a friendless system and culture in which we live, guess what? Your obedience becomes a bribe to God. You can't bribe God with your obedience. God doesn't need anything. As I was curious, I was getting to base my pastor about it. I still preach this stuff. You know, the way we would teach tithing and offering in the community I first became a Christian in, it didn't make sense to me. I'm like, God doesn't need anything. It's, it, we read the scriptures. It says, God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. What can I add to God's bank account? God needs your tithe. Why? So he can bless you. I'm like, that doesn't sound right. It's just counterintuitive. And people say, well, pastor, it's, you know, and probably somebody saying, pastor, you probably shouldn't preach that in church, right? Don't you want people to give? Yes, I want you to give. Why? Because we got work to do. I was being straight up with you, right? And also, it's about learning how to be generous with one resources, one realizing that the resources and capital that you have, not just money, but also your intellect, also your gifts, whatever they are, Right, Your car, your bicycle, whatever it is that you have, God can use that to bless other people. So, like, why should people give in your church? I must keep it real. One, we need this space. Why? So we can create space for art. So we can create space for young people to, to walk more fully in their gifts, in their anointings in this community. Also, the whole space for this community to raise consciousness. Also, and highly, or the, the highest goal is to mobilize the army of love. And also to give, to bless other people. Why? Because God lives in us. So I would tell people, like Jesus says this, his principle, this ethic principle, this, this ethics, this basis of ethics that Jesus says, 
Jesus says, be holy because, he doesn't say, be holy because you want to get some stuff from God. He says, be holy, why? Because God is holy. So if you're made in the image of God, you're to be generous with what you have as, you, as, as much as you can be because God is generous. I know. But pastor, what do we get out of this? We get to be a blessing. And that's a blessing in and of itself. And so he says here to the renewing, right? He says renew. I'm going to tie up here in a minute, y'all. It is a change of heart. In life. Achieved by God's power. One of the other things that religion does is that uh, we because we're in a culture that teaches uh, self-sufficiency to the point that uh, we really believe that we are rugged individuals, that we literally can pull ourselves up by, the own, by our own bootstraps. Right, for instance, our current president, he says, I'm a self-made millionaire. But your daddy gave you a million dollars to start your business. Right? This is how powerful these stories are. When in reality, you had a parents, you had a father, you had a community to support. And so uh, renewal comes from a change of heart and life achieved by God's power. So even as an individual and, you're, and you are uh, doing things in the world, you're creating things, you're making things, you're living a life or you're learning how to live a life of holiness and virtue amongst your neighbors and friends and even enemies, you have to understand that this is not because you're so bad and you're so good. It's because God's power in you. God's grace. And he says, renewal of your mind, which is your understanding, your reason. It's that organ in the ancient world believed to be the organ, that part of us that receives God's thoughts. And so literally what we're talking about here. So when Paul says that uh, to, to renew your mind, I could never understand, like I said earlier, what does that mean exactly? And then I remember, okay, read the verse before that. Paul tells you this is what I need you to do. I need you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then he begins to talk about later what that means. I want to highly advise you to read the rest of that passage. He tells you the process to do that. See, in the kingdom of God, external change comes from internal change. But also this, once there's internal change, there's external change. And then when there's external change, it actually presses upon the heart to shift even further. Mm, What I mean by that? 
you just can't think yourself into a new habit. But what you can do is habit yourself into new thinking. (laughs) What do I mean by that? Habits that are other-centered. Habits that are not self-centered. But habits that are other-regarding. Jesus says, I'm leaving here. And I will not leave you friendless in the world. So you can't just think yourself into new habits. In the kingdom of God, you also got to habit yourself. And I know it seems paradoxical. I know it may seem contradictory. But it's not just any kind of habit. But it is habits where you have sometimes, because of the grace of God, when you realize this, all right, I know I got to live differently. I know that God is in my life. I know that Jesus died for my sins, that, that Jesus has poured his Holy Spirit into my life. I understand that I have encountered the risen Christ, that I have encountered, that I have engaged the very presence of God, that God has present with me, that Jesus has not left me as an orphan in the world, that Jesus has not left me friendless and parentless in the world, but that God is present with me in a way I understand that God is with me. Emmanuel, God is with us. But what do I do? You got to change your habits. Mr. Romans, you don't have to pull it up there. But I'm going to tell you what Paul says after all this. He begins to tell people how to relate to each other. Paul says, this is how you renew your mind. This is what it means to be present with people. This is what it means to not be orphans in the world. This is what it means to be friends, to be present with each other. Romans 12, after he says all of that, what we just posted, uh, Paul says this. Because of the grace of God that God gave me, I can say to each one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. This is what it means to renew one's mind. Instead, be reasonable, since God has measured out a portion of faith to each one of you. We have many parts in one body, but the parts don't all have the same function. Amen? We're all unique. We're all gifted. In the same way, though there are many of us, we are one body in Christ. Amen? And individually, we belong to each other, right? So in the body of Christ, when God has become present in your life, when Jesus is no, has not left you as an orphan in the world, when Jesus has become your friend and the Spirit of God lives in you and you're part of a community where there's gifts and uniqueness and beauty and purpose individually here, he says, we are to look out for each other. So in the kingdom of God, you can't have followers of Jesus saying, I'm going to get mine.
Jesus says, he's here. And Paul says, because Jesus is here, we should belong to each other. We have different gifts that are consistent with God's grace that has been given to us. Amen. Everybody in this room, even if you can't recognize it yet, every last one of you have at least one gift, one asset for the kingdom of God. Amen. I was telling somebody recently, I forgot who I was talking to. Man, I don't know if it was Danny or my mama. I don't know who it was. I can't remember who it was. George? We're brothers. We talk a lot, right? And I can't remember who it was. Y'all let me know. Y'all remind me. But I told him this. We teach people in our culture that their gifts are out there somewhere. You know what I'm talking about? I need to find out who I am, right? My gifts, they're around the corner somewhere. They're in the welcome area, and I just got to walk around there, and hopefully I'll find it. You know what I'm talking about? My purpose, I have to discover my purpose. That was me and you, right? Okay. I have to discover my purpose, right? It's way off into the future somewhere. But if you ever seen seeds, and me and my daughter had this conversation the other day, you ever seen seeds? And there's some seeds like, like you put them in your hand, they look very similar. Until what? You plant them in the ground, right? The fruit that they bear. The thing about seeds, seeds don't get out the ground and look for the tree they're trying to become. That's how some of us talk. I'm trying to find my purpose. It's like a seed, like, okay, y'all plant me in the ground. Whoop, let me go find the tree I'm supposed to become. That is nonsensical. The gifts that you are and have are already in you. You just got to get into a community of people that are not self-seeking and self-centered. See, the one of the ways that gifts come out of people is when they're in a community of people that are other-centered. They're thinking about you. How can we help create an environment for our young people for their gifts and their assets to come to the forefront, to, to develop, to sprout up out the ground? But when you got a religious community of people that are only concerned about, concerned about getting theirs from God, getting mine from God, guess what? You got a bunch of you running around being spectators. In the house of God. And adults. So you can sit your whole life in church and become a good churchgoer, but you not become what God made you to be. That's a tragedy. And the world gets that better than the Christians. Right? That's when Jesus said, the children of the world are more wiser than the children of light. He said that. Look it up. It's in the text. Jesus said that. Amen. Let's keep reading what Paul says. Verse 6, we have different gifts that are consistent with God's grace that has been given to us. If your gift is prophecy, you should prophesy in proportion to your faith. We have prophetically gifted people in this community. They should use their gift. 
If your gift is service, devote yourself to serving. If your gift is teaching, devote yourself to teaching. If your gift is encouragement, devote yourself to encouraging. If the one giving should, do it with no strings attached. Whoa. Ho, ho. Did y'all read that? Oh, oh, it ain't up there. All right. Did y'all hear that? The one giving should give it with no strings attached. The leader should lead with passion. The one showing mercy should be cheerful. Everybody got a gift. And it should be about the other one. Think of someone more. No, don't think of yourself more highly than other people, but consider uh, your uh, other people's uh, burden or other people's struggle or other people's situation. Think about ways that you can encourage them to use your gift to bless them. And it's not just in within the church. It's also outside the church. I'm a teacher. That's one of my spiritual gifts. I'm a teacher, right? I just don't teach up in here. I'm at work. People come up to me for some reason, always asking me questions. Well, pastor, what do you think about this? And y'all know me. I ask another question. So what do you think? Right? A good teacher asks good questions. Right? Jesus, who do men say that I am? They say this and this. Well, who do you say I am? Notice Jesus didn't give the answer. They had discovered it themselves. Jesus said this, I didn't reveal it to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed it to you. So a good teacher will teach you how to, 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 to posture yourself, to discipline yourself, to receive what God is trying to show you. I can't give you the answer to everything. Right? Christians got messed up with the Bible answer man. And I love this. I'm, I'm, I'm switching, y'all. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, NIV. But I'm, I'm, I'm loving this common English Bible now, right? I just, I just love this, right? And it says, love should be shown without pretending. Wow. So he's saying, basically, let me just put it in the way that he's talking about in, in, in in 21st century uh, English language. Hey, Ma hey, Malachi, how are you, man? Hey, and my inner voice is saying, man, I just want to smack him upside the head. <laughs> Which I don't, but, but I'm just saying, you know, how we just, we, we, what he's saying is just be nice, right? And so one of the things is in the body of Christ, we're called to love and not be nice. I was about to quote Bell Hooks. I forgot the quote I mentioned. I mentioned I was starting to quote Bell Hooks, one of my favorite uh, writers. Bell Hooks says this, love is not a theory. Love is not even a good emotion. But love is action. Right? Which hopefully, as you walk in greater love towards each other, we act lovingly towards each other. We learn how to be present with each other. We learn how to be here with each other. And what happens on the inside, it also begins to impact the inside. So you got to do habits of love to grow in love inwardly. Amen. I'm like, okay, this one. Let me just keep reading here. And I, I finish down. He says, hate evil and hold on to what is good. Love each other like the members of your family. 
Wow. If you don't love your family, <laughs> still love each other. Amen. So. <laughs> Be the best at showing honor to each other. Mm. That is so countercultural. Be the best at showing honor to other people, to others. So he's not saying be the best so you can outshine other people. He says if you're going to be the best at something, be the best at showing honor and respect to other people. Let's have a competition. Man, we had a competition in this community where we say, you know what? I'm going to outdo showing honor to other people besides myself. Could you imagine that? We call it the Honor Olympics. And we will award, award gold medals to people who outshine others in showing honor to other people. And to celebrate other people's accomplishments and successes. We so easily tear each other down oftentimes in our community. I know I'm not preaching today, I'm teaching. Don't hesitate to be enthusiastic. Be on fire in the spirit as you serve the Lord. Verse 12, be happy in your hope. Stand your ground when you're in trouble and devote yourselves to prayer. Contribute to the needs of God's people and welcome strangers into your home. <laughs> you see a pattern here. Do you see the pattern? When Jesus is here in our lives and in our community, guess what? We become a people who are here for others. Mm. Jesus is here for us. Mm. And when Jesus is here for us, guess what? We become a people that become here for others. You thought that Jesus being present in your life was just for you. So you, and sometimes we need encouragement from the Lord. Sometimes we need to know that God is still present with us, even in the valley of the shadow of death, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of betrayal, even in the midst of our own mistakes and frailty and brokenness. Yes, there are moments when we need the presence of God to remind us that we are not alone in the world, that we need love, that we need hope. But God's presence comes in the presence, in our presence, and we learn how to recognize his presence and build our lives around his presence so we can, we can be present for other people. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Back at John, we'll finish up with this. I'm going to read the Common English Bible. This just sounds way better. We'll finish up here. John 14, verse 15. You can put it in NIV if you want to, but the common English reads a little different. Jesus says this, and we learned this in Mission Lab last week, um, a couple verses before this, when Jesus says, um, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, and y'all have heard this before. Jesus says, you've heard it said that... Um, 
to love your neighbors as you love yourself. Right? Y'all have heard this before. Golden rule, right? But then Jesus says this, I offer you a new commandment. He says to love your neighbor as I have loved you. Because guess what? You may not love yourself. And if you can't love yourself, you do not love yourself for whatever reason, trauma, pain, sin, oppression, things that have been done to you or things you've done to yourself, it may be difficult for you to love others. But here's the thing, though, if, if that's the case, it's very hard sometimes to love other people because we don't love ourselves. So that's why Jesus said this, love your neighbors as I have loved you because I have become the example of what love is. I am the model for what love is. I am the pioneer that you are to track and follow in my footsteps, to walk in my ways, to, to learn how to embody this love that I have for the whole world in your own life. Then you can learn how to love your neighbor and also how to learn, your, learn to love yourself. That's why the ancient myst Christian mystics and monastics uh, back centuries ago said is the highest form of love is to love yourself with the love of God. That's a different kind of love. You can learn to love yourself the way Jesus loves you. Jesus says this, I'll leave you with this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Hmm. He don't say, hey, man, if you want to get something from me, hey, let's keep what I'm, let's do what I say. If you want to be blessed, if you want to get yours, if you want to keep that hustle going, obey me. Is that what he says? No, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. See, True obedience does not come from an oppression, oppressed state. True obedience to Christ comes out of love for Christ. And obedience simply means to hear and to become what you heard. And so literally when Christ speaks to us, when he, when he shows love to us, it reciprocates, it returns back. The Bible says that when God sends his word, it, will, it, it does not return void, Right? And so when Jesus sends us commands, when the commands of Jesus here, the, the rules that Jesus gives us, they, are, they should be a, a responded with love because we love him. And he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will send another companion. It says here, another advocate. Isn't that interesting? He says, another. Who was the first one? Come on, Bible scholars. If I gave y'all, we got them treats that uh, Miss Darlene made, right? If y'all get your things, tasty, amen? They're really good. Save me one, okay? And I gave you one, and you would say, hey, I want uh, another, right? Because you've already had one before. So when Jesus says, he will give you another advocate or another companion in the Common English Bible. Who was the first one? Jesus. <laughs> this is going to be good. I'm finishing out with this. I'm trying to restrain myself here. 
Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will send you another companion. Why? Because I've been here with you the whole time. I've been your advocate. I've been your companion. I've been with you this whole time. But so guess what? God's going to send you another one just like me. And this companion is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or recognizes him. You know him because he lives with you and will be with you. Now, correct the English. The Holy Spirit is not a him or a her. God transcends gender, right? I just want to make, you know, it's written by men. So, you know, that's how it goes sometimes. So, um, the other advocate is the spirit of truth. What's another name we call this person? Holy Spirit. Christians. The Holy Spirit takes the place of the physical presence of Jesus. <laughs> I know you're like, okay, Pastor, that's Christianity 101. Let that sink in for a moment. The Holy Spirit takes the place of the physical presence of Jesus in our lives. Hey, I don't know if I, if I read that right. Then he says this. If I was to put it in our language, he will give you another advocate. Somebody just like me is going to be in your life. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. Why? Why do you know him? Because you know me. How will you know the Holy Spirit? He's telling the disciples. Because you know me. And he's me, replacing me, but I'm going to the right hand of the Father. So you know him because you know me. He lives with you and will be in you. And then he says this, I will not leave you as orphans. What is he saying? I am here, Jesus is saying. But I am here through the Holy Spirit. So literally, God does not leave us friendless in the world. Literally, God does not leave us, uh, uh, leave us absent in the world. God is not a, uh, what shall we say, uh, 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 has abandoned us to the world and the systems in which we live in that tell us that it's all about us, that it's all about me. It's, it's about, you know, what can I get? It's all about my side hustle, how I'm going to get mine to get over on the people. But it's, also, it's, about, it's about God being present with us through the Holy Spirit. And so literally... The Holy Spirit is literally Jesus' presence in our lives, that he is here with us in the valley, in the struggle, that Jesus is present with us in powerful ways that oftentimes we do not recognize. One of the unique things about the Christian faith is this. I said unique.
And because Christianity is other regarding, because Jesus died for other people, Christians should, say, should not say things like, my religion is better than yours. Isn't that ironic? Christianity is not better than other religions. Why? Because we're not in competition with other religions. We are here because Jesus is present in our lives. We don't get into the competition game with other people. We live out a reality of the risen Christ in our lives. But the unique thing about Christianity was the bold claim that the founder of our faith is still present with us. He is not in the grave becoming earthworm um, worm food, right? He's not, we can't, you know, we can't find, you know, you know, we can get to a debate about that later on, you know, for those who struggle with the historicity of Jesus, and we talk about that later, right? And that's cool, I get that, right? But according to the Christian story, the founder of our faith was resurrected from the dead. You can't compete with that. And it's not a competition. This should be a reality for us. But the reason why Jesus does this is for other people, for the world. And to finish off, soon the world will not see me any longer. Because I live, you will live too. On the day you will know that I am my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Mm. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them loves me. Whoever loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas <laughs> asked, Lord, why are you about to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, Whoever loves me will keep my word. My father will love them, and he will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever doesn't love me doesn't keep my words. And the word that you hear isn't mine. It is the word of the father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while I am with you. The Holy Spirit, the companion, the advocate, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I told you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I give you not as the world gives, not don't be troubled or afraid. You have heard me tell you I am going away and returning to you. If you love me, you would be happy that I am going to the Father because the Father is greater than me. I have told you before it happens so that when it happens, you will believe. I won't say much more to you because this world's ruler is coming. He has nothing on me. Rather, he comes so that the world will know that I love the Father and do just as the Father has commanded me. Get up. We're leaving this place. Jesus is here, and it's not a hustle. Jesus is here, and it's not a hustle. Jesus is present, and he's not trying to get over on any of us. Because that's the reality. We should be a community of people that are repeating the same into the world. 